Borag Thogarthlets. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 22nd episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering August 1978, progs 76 through 79. This week, we'll see the Ant Wars heat up, Dan Dare put down a mutiny, Judge Dredd invite even more civil litigation, and we'll start one of my favorite early 2008 thrills, Robo Hunter. How's it going this this week, Fox? Uh, pretty awesome. We've got a great mix of action with this one, and I'm a pretty big fan of Robo Hunter. Yeah, it's actually a really compressed um, month. Like, there's just five thrills, and. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of things being pretty steady. It's definitely more digestible. Um, I miss the eclecticity of the uh, of the first series, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're gonna kind of start getting a more a little bit bigger mix of things pretty soon. But mm. until then, thrill one, Robo Hunter. So all of Robo Hunter. That so Robo Hunter this month is written by. Either the script robot is either TB Grover or Mike Stott, and the art robot is uh, Ferrer and Gibson. Okay, so before we get started in the actual story, I want to talk about the uh, the protagonist of this of Robo Hunter, the name Sam Slade. That's S <laughs> L A Y E D to you. Ooh. But not really. He's S L A D E. But so so slams so so Sam is kind of an old guy. He's got a a blaster, a vest, a sweet uh, baseball cap, and he's definitely not Han Solo. <laughs> exactly, and he's got kind of a, a scattered de- device called a robo a robometer, who's named Cutie and kind of looks like like a caricature of a blonde, like of a of a ditzy blonde, and like talks like a ditzy blonde, which I really like. Yeah. She's like uh, the uh, the Venus of Willendorf, but for a Playboy playmate, essentially, for um, for the uh, debonair re- uh, listener or whatever. Wow. His main ex- uh, Sam Slade's main exclamation is "Holy Joe Smith!" So he might be some kind of future Mormon. I'm not sure. <laughs> and why not? This whole story takes place in uh, in the t- in the Judge Dredd timeline. Um, Slade lives in Mega City One. And but it starts in uh, in 2140, so about 40 years after our current Judge Dread timeline. Oh, cool! So like, you know, I can't guarantee that like right now, <laughs> or maybe a couple years from now, like at some point, will some of the past events in this comic will actually happen in Judge Dread? You know. I can't promise that it might happen, but and we, and we should keep an eye out for it. But you know, the fact is, there's enough time travel within the Judge Dredd timeline that little th- that there can be inconsistencies with this sort of thing, and so it's better not to make a big deal about it. <laughs> I gotcha. Hand wave. It's uh, it's science fiction. Yeah. So let's get to the story. All right. <laughs> Chairs. Ah. We start God. with we start with Sam on the on the hunt for a rogue robot. He takes down a bunch of random robots and then finds his quarry, Frank, a robo couch on the loose. They um, really didn't explain why he had to kill the first two or why they wanted to kill him. They were like protecting Frank because <clears throat> he was on the run, I guess. Man, bad robots helping a bad robot on the lamb. Mm. 
<laughs> so uh, Sam gets Frank to submit, and he drive and he rides home on Frank, who is a also a flying robot couch, I guess. Yep. When he arrives the office, there's a, uh, a a beautiful lady who like puts the moves on him. But Sam recognizes this as odd as odd behavior because he's an old guy. So he basically mushes her and it goes straight Austin to powers. Like that's not a woman, that's a robot, baby. And then uh, cracks her in the face. Yeah, turns out to be a robot. But the robot was sent by these two dudes, uh, Roger and Chan, from the International <laughs> Space Commission. Chan is a Asian guy who speaks in like full on like hop sing um, R's and L's transposed kind of dialect. Conrad uh, is saying very nicely that this shit is deaf, super racist. <laughs> I mean, this isn't a huge part of the comic, so I don't. I don't want to sort of. I'm trying not to present Robo Hunter as a racist comic. Like th- this it's guy deaf. shows up once or twice, but this is a caricature and not cool. Um, yeah. But so they sort of lay things out how in 2080 overpopulation motivated an effort to colonize off-world planets, including um, or especially the paradise world of Virtus. A ro- yeah, a robot SJ-1 was sent ahead to basically set things up for when the humans arrived, building robots and amenities and things like that. But in 2110, once hyperdrive had been mastered and they sent out uh, humans to colonize the planet, they were never heard from again. And over the last few years, they've sort of sent a bunch of different missions of varying kinds to try to find out what happened, but they've never heard back from them. Oh, snap. Who are they going to send? Well, they believe the robots have been have taken over, and so there's no choice but to send Sam Slade, the world's greatest robo-hunter. Because he totally knew that that one chick was, uh, you know, a robot and not and he's human. got a 40, year, 40 years of experience killing robots. <laughs> okay, well, not so for long, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they basically say, take this mission or get shot in the head, so he takes the mission. <laughs> He, uh, he writes his will and prepares to head out. Yep. So, so next up we see Sam. He's flying to Virtus on a ship piloted by this guy, Commander Kid, with two Ds. And he's a child. Well, as they fly, there's a problem with the ship's shield. Oh, no. And apparently um, the waves of unshielded hyperspace has aged them backwards. So that Sam Slade, once sort of an old guy, is now a young guy again. And, and Commander Kid, who was once uh, figuratively a child, is now also literally a child. Yeah, he's but he's like he re- he retains. So he turns into a baby. Um, <laughs> but he retains his um, knowledge and ability to talk and find motor skills and stuff. So he basically turns into the baby from like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, essentially. And a uh, comic book first over that movie, this baby smokes a stogie. It's true. I mean, I feel like, I don't know if I want to say that's the first, that first time that's ever happened, but it's definitely, um, it definitely is something that's happening before it happened in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, that's for sure. <laughs> so, they get land on the planet, and they're greeted by a horde of robots, oh jeez. <laughs> oh man, so yeah. many- Robos. Slade, Kid, and Cutie are captured by the robots. The robots are able to cut through the walls of their ship like it's nothing, and Slade's blaster has no effect. 
the robots take them captive. They, it's pretty cool because they sort of like this giant robot um, eats them and then they land inside his belly, which is a big cage. Have you um, ever have you ever been to like old McDonald's that have um, like playgrounds outside that are like made of metal? Yeah. Okay. Have you ever seen the ones with I think it's Mayor McCheese where you can go into his head and there's just a bars all around his face? I don't think I've seen those ones. That sounds horrifying. Well, it's a nightmare fucking fueled thing to climb into, but this reminded me a lot of that. <laughs> Yeah, so he gets tossed in the belly of this robot, <laughs> and they um, they don't acknowledge Sam and Kid or uh, uh, Slade and Kid as humans. They call them they they keep calling them Sims, and they're taken to basically a concentration camp full of humans in wall after wall of of cells. They're all insane from their ap- captivity because they've all probably been there for like ten or fifteen years, or you know, ten to thirty years, and everybody's crazy. And it looks like all the colonizers have been put into concentration camps in this way. Uh-oh. Yeah, things are not looking great for people. Yeah. So uh, Sam, Kid, and Cutie roll into the human concentration camp. They're tested by the robots. And apparently it seems like the robot thinks that, hu- think that, think that humans aren't humans because the humans can't do advanced mathematical equations um, quickly in their head. Or instantly like in their robots head. Can. Like robots can. And like, I forget if they say it here, but eventually, basically, they've been told that humans are in every way superior to robots. So <laughs> if humans are bad at math, then it means that re- that they can't be humans. they got to be simulated humans there to test them or something like that. Just weird. So Sam... They get them naked. Yeah, so they get them naked, they test them, they scan them, they give them their clothes back, and they've been categorized as sims to be ground up and used for fertilizer. Which apparently is a lot of humans in this concentration camp. Things are extremely grim. But Cutie has a plan. And basically, she needs a sample of the metal from the robots here. And then she could use that to retune Sam's blaster so that it could actually do something. And things get a little bit rated (laughs) PG-13. Well, they send send Kid out in his diaper to grab Sam... uh, Sam's blaster. When he does, he gets grabbed by a robot and tossed back in the cell. Um, as he does, Kid bites one of the robots' um, hands <laughs> and gets basically a metal shaving sample on his on a chipped tooth. And there's a, a kind of gross set, set of uh, of panels where Sam reaches his finger into Kid's mouth to like wipe a sample off of kid's tooth and then puts his finger in cutie's mouth to like give her the sample and i don't know (laughs) it's it's the shot like the angle of the whole thing that really makes me just like "Mm, okay that's fair um (laughs) but so they using the metal sample they are able to retool uh, sam's blaster and he shoots his way free and we're back in business it's time to hunt some robos and he looks pretty great. Looks like a Sylvester Stallone character with a baby riding on his back. <laughs> exactly. Also a Han Solo with a girl on his belt. Anyway. Yeah. It's great. He's, got lot, he's got a lot going on. I think that's true. There's a lot of style in this comic. I'm, I'll be pretty honest. I like a man whose job is just to shoot robots who are probably definitely evil. I mean, they're, they're taking humans and grinding them into fertilizer. Like, there's not... That's usually pretty evil, you know what I yep. mean? I, I figured that they had some Asimov laws in them, like, don't just kill all the things. 
but well, whatever. Even if they have Asimov laws that require them to not kill humans, they don't acknowledge these guys as humans, so they've found a way around the laws, you know? What a twist. <laughs> bam, bam, bam. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. We haven't oh, even gotten that part yet. We're going to be really sad, Conrad. You're going to be really sad. <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, but pretty, you know, we're off to a good start, I think. Like, the uh, the de-aging stuff is kind of interesting. Um, it's really weird how much they set up stuff on Earth with uh, Sam at this point, just because he's going to be on Veritas, on Veritas for a long time. I mean, it you get the sense that, like, in the early panels, he's still able to dispatch these robots fairly quickly, but he's already kind of talking in his own head, like, man, I'm getting really old. Eventually something's just going to fucking kill me. And then two guys show up, and they're like, we're going to fucking kill you unless you try to kill yourself on this planet. And he's like, yeah, here we go. (laughs) Yeah, this is exactly what I was saying a moment ago that I didn't want to have happen. He starts as kind of this just like, God, this shit sucks, and then turns into hero guy because of, you know, plot reason that he's young again, which I like. And I like a baby hanging around his head. It's fun. Yeah, totally, yeah. Good start for Robo Hunter. Now he's got to take down all these mutinous robots and stuff. <laughs> hey, Fox. Yeah. Speaking of uh, speaking of mutiny. Yeah. Thrill to Dan Dare. <laughs> so, script robots for Dan Dare... Th- Script robots for Dan Dare this month are uh, Jack, Adrian, and Henry Miller, and the art robots are Dave Gibbons and then Goring and Leech. Oh, snap! Mutiny! Part four! Yeah. So, when we last left, uh, Bear, the uh, Russian cosmonaut member of the crew, had pulled the gun... Yeah. He he had pulled his gun on the only other non-Dan Dare member of the crew that matters, uh, Hitman. <laughs> and... He seemed to go over to Hitman's side, then double crosses him. Bears being a real jerk to these progs. The leader of the mutineers against uh, Space Captain Dan Dare, Haskins, confront the members of the crew that are still loyal to Dare and subdue them, including the uh, Scottish ship's engineer. I see you guys. <laughs> they smack his hand with a billy club, and he's like, Oh, my gun! My gun, yeah. man! <laughs> uh, Bear suggests loading them all into an eagle and sending them out into the meteor storm. Instead of killing them. Yeah, instead of just firing squad them right away. Meanwhile, Dan Dare wakes up and is in the uh, bottom of, like, the turbo lift or whatever and is grabbed by Gunnar Johansson, who <laughs> loads Dan into an eagle ship and shoots the pod bay doors or the, the hangar doors of the ship crazy. out. And... The two, and they take off into space. This depressurizes the hangar just as the mutineers take the loyalists below to put them in a ship. And so, like, the uh, the airlock's about to blow out. <laughs> so, Gunner and Dare blast out. Uh, the loyalist guys are, because of where they're situated in the, uh, in, the, in the airlock room leading to the hangar, are able to put on spacesuits. While the mutineers... While the mutineers just sort of crowd around this rapidly breaking window. And so the mutineers all get sucked out into space while the <laughs> loyalists are able to successfully survive in spacesuits, which is pretty uh, handy, I guess. Hooray! Uh, Dan, Dan Dare, meanwhile, in the airlock of the Eagle Craft, manages to find his spacesuit and, and jetpack. <laughs> and, Lucky ducky. Yeah. He escapes from the Eagle Craft 
and flies back to the space fort. Ju- um, Fox. <laughs> yeah, well, there's still a huge uh, meteor sh- storm going on, you know. <laughs> so everything is getting fucked up. Yeah, surviving the um the 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 blowout. Uh, Hitman and the rest of his loyalist guys start sweeping the decks of the Eagle. Dan Dare and his jetpack makes for the part of the ship that's been holed by the asteroids. And Haskins sends some dudes in their own space jetpacks to take Dan Dare out. But they end up being killed by Gunner um, as dudes in the corridors are killed by Hitman and his guys. It's a very action-packed section, I'll say that much. Dan Dare gets in the ship, but as he does... Um, Weapons fire from Gunner triggers these like auto sealing gel nozzles in the in the ship, like block holes and stuff. And it just keeps coming. Well then, well then Gunner manages to accidentally shoot one of the nozzles, so suddenly it's just spraying ship sealing (laughs) foam all over the place. And Dan Dare's like, "Oh, geez, I'm about to be suffocated by this foam." It's just too much of it. I can't take it all. Yeah. So he ends up blocking the foam nozzle with his space helmet and eventually gets free. Once he does, he uh, cleans out his helmet and drops it and his jetpack off in this part of the ship. Uh, put a pin in this fox. It'll become relevant in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, Hitman and his loyalists are pinned down by mutineer guys, but they're saved by uh, Dan Dare, who kills them from a different position. Um, at this point, the but mutineers are behind mo- specifically. Yeah, sorry, he shoots some guys in the back because he's because he's a good guy in this story. Um, <laughs> it looks like um, things are going bad for Haskins. Um, he tries to make a, a a break for it, and Bear turns on him, and it looks like he was with Dare all along. He'd just been sort of pretending to be a mutineer to try to minimize the loss of life among the uh, um, among the loyalists and stuff. Then he gets slapped with a rocket launcher. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, so Haskins makes his escape. He uh, along the way, he uh, hey he gra- he needs to get out of the ship, so he grabs Dan Dare's helmet and jetpack and escapes at an airlock. Not a good idea. He flies to the eagle that Gunner Johan- that Gunner Johansson's been flying around all this time and comes in. <laughs> And enters the airlock, and then Gunner's there, and he's like, "Ah, oh, Dan Dare, you come back! I'm gonna kill you!" And he's like, "I'm not Dan Dare." And and Gunner's like, "It says Dan Dare on your helmet." And he's like, "No, I borrowed the helmet." And like, now you're gonna die. But then uh, the ship gets hit by a pair of meteors, and yep, uh, they're dead. That's all for that story. <laughs> <laughs> and this is how Dan Dare solves a like five part episode. No, six. Yeah, six you send. Parts. You send you make the mutineer dress up like you. You send him to the guy who's space crazy, and then they both get hit by asteroids. That's the, like what it says in the Navy manual for dealing with it, with mutineers. Frankly, <laughs> who wrote it? The fucking Thundercats. Well, you know, I feel like uh, Jack Adrian was trying to make way for the new creative team that starts in the final prog um, of Dan really? Dare this month. Yeah, there's a new writer and new uh, art team. That's weird. It's very, like, dark and, like, sketchy, kind of. Which, I mean, it looks like a sketch, not that it's, like, I don't know, not reliable or something. But yeah, you know, if I saw it in a dark alley, I wouldn't be afraid. I would just be like, oh, interesting color choices. <laughs> exactly. So, this time, the uh, the, the uh, Dandere crew is headed for a planet they've heard of, Altair 4, which is the home of a couple crew members, including the youngest crew member, because this is the first time we've heard about him, so he's apparently newly created, uh, the kid. 
Yep. Everyone's looking forward to R and R on the planet, but then the whole planet is blowing up, and the ship and the, and the planet explodes. Yep. The ship's computer, which is now a uh, sexy lady for some reason. Yeah, and named computer. Well, of course, you got to call your computer computer. <laughs> if you give it a name, it'll start getting getting ideas. Sure. But man. it uh, it tracks an energy trail that appears to have caused the blast. So the fort follows it as Bear takes the kid down to sickbay. While in <laughs> you know, hyper. To- to put him under so he'll shut the fuck up. Well, he's in shock. You know, his whole plan's been destroyed. No one wants to hear. And, you know, some dude lamenting his lost planet is depressing. So you just <laughs> knock him out for a little while, you know? <laughs> Get it out of his system. Yeah. While the uh, while the kid's knocked out in a sickbay tube, uh, Bear goes crazy. He goes space crazy. <laughs> and he tries to open an airlock into space. But only man just open enough to suck out four crew members into the depths of hyperspace while he himself stays inside the ship. What they're fox? Killing a lot of pe- they're killing so many fucking people. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So, <laughs> so bear. Get, so they managed to. So hitman and Dan Dare managed to subdue bear and do kind of a "Don't you die on me" type CPR thing to bring him back to life because he was sort of exposed to the vacuum. Um, the ship returns to normal space, but is immediately hit by something. All ship powers go out, and the sh- fort is suddenly caught in the tractor beam of a gigantic vessel being pulled in. What's going on? Next prog, Death Ship. Looks pretty fucking cool. Yeah, well, I just want to say, we kind of didn't mention it for um, for Robo Hunter, but both Robo Hunter and, and Dan Dare is where we really start seeing uh, this shadow of Star Wars really taking effect on 2000 AD. Yeah, big time. Like the. Oh, the, oh, oh, please, oh go, ahead. go ahead. Oh, the Virtus colony ship looks just like a Star Destroyer, like mm. fully 100% like a Star Wars, um, a New Hope Star Destroyer. Then, this Dan Dare story is about a planet being destroyed by a powerful spaceship and ends with our good guy spaceship being pulled by a tractor beam into a giant bad guy spaceship, as also happens in Star Wars. Reverse order Star Wars, yeah. So, you know, I'm just saying, we're sort of seeing some beats that are being repeated in these comics. I don't, it's not like super wholesale, like they're just remaking Star Wars, but, um, you know, it's something to keep an eye out for. Yeah. This That said... Um Mutiny is really like what's what's kind of competing with Judge Dredd for me for the end of this, by the way. Mm. Just because so many explosions and so many people die and so many innuendos and so many like just stupid things <laughs> happening. There's so much like violence going on inside the ship this month. It's crazy. I'm surprised it's, re- it's still together. Yeah, it's really like over the top and it's really like I have no idea how many people are still alive or part of Dan Dare's crew. You know, a lot of them seem to be dying very quickly. Like Haskins has some very good points about Dan Dare's management style for yeah. um, this mission because people are dying left and right, and like still dying. Yeah, and the people he's put in charge also get men killed like fairly regularly. Mm-hmm. It's not great. Yeah, no, it's, it's a like real a Mickey Mouse operation, games. frankly. <laughs> Oh, man. And, like, he just picked the most charismatic sociopaths that he met on the crime planet to be, <laughs> like, his 
his second his second and third in command you know like well, hitman hitman and bear were just like two jerks that he met on that um on that crime planet and now they're like in charge of the show of the whole shebang well it's it's you know you got to get a crew together that you feel like understands the expendability of lesser crew members right so these guys probably <laughs> you know were running their own operation maybe you know came into some towns ate some people ripped them apart <laughs> Oh man! Speaking of coming into towns and ripping and eating, r- ripping people apart and eating them, Fox. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, Thrill three, Judge Dread. <laughs> oh, it's so great. So, uh, script robots for Judge Dread this month are Pat Mills and Jack Adrian. Art robots are Mike McMahon and Brian Boland. <sighs> The first image of Dan Dare, of, uh, of, I should say, of, of Judge Dredd this month is so awesome. Chapter with, 16, Black Sabbath. With Satanus, the killer lord of the T-Rexes, standing high atop the bell tower of the Town of Redemption. A bunch of prisoners linked by a chain coming out of his mouth and flying all around him. His jaws full of blood and just a small western town overrun by T-Rexes. It's awesome. It's it is everything that you want out of a flesh cameo. It's super duper awesome. Oh, and it it's just it only starts there and gets better. <laughs> Judge Jack is hanging from this chain coming out of Satanus's mouth. <laughs> and Judge Dredd has ordered the, the town to be destroyed, so the uh, sad war droids go to their deadly work. <laughs> <laughs> They really are so sad looking. They look like sad emojis with robot gun arms, basically. <laughs> and they just murder. Yeah. They're Dr- raising repentance to the ground. Absolutely. Dread climbs the uh, the bell tower to try to save Judge Jack um, and is attacked by pterodactyls in the belfry. The stench! <laughs> Yeah, but, pterodactyls probably don't smell great. <laughs> in the end, Dread frees Jack, and the two of them find refuge in the Land Raider as Satanus attacks it. Some quick driving jumps gets, on top of it. Yeah, he's he's jumped on top of the of the uh, of the Land Raider. Some quick driving leads to Satanus being trapped inside the church, and then all <laughs> weapons are directed at the mighty beast. White heat, and the T Rex is seemingly destroyed, and the fight is won. Until one dying townsfolk with a giant T-Rex tooth through his head sicks his pet velociraptor at Judge Dredd. And only, um, and he only survives because Tweak shows up and basically mashes, yeah, mashes the dinosaur to bits with his giant hands. And by the way, this is a monster that like frowns on the killing of other things. Hey, he's got to save his buddy, you know? Yep. So awesome. So uh, Dredd scatters the surviving townsfolk to the cursed earth with a warning of, if you do this something like this again, then I'll really be mad. <laughs> and <laughs> they all drive off, but then Satanus rises from, the, rises from inside his fiery grave in the church. He's still alive, and he goes from the rubble to someday fulfill his great and terrible destiny. That's right. You can't even blowtorch him with like a bunch of blowtorch cannon tank cannons no, forever man. and try and melt him because he's old one eye's kid. Now he's angry. He's not as good as old one eye, but he can he can play his part. That's right. Oh, so awesome. So next Prague. <laughs> the team come across a 
green field in the middle of the cursed earth, and Dredd is immediately snatched by the Jolly Green Giant. Yep, yep. the one from commercials. <laughs> <laughs> He, he's, he, he frees himself and the crew continues on to a farm where they find yeah where they find a kid that looks like Speedy the old uh, Alka-Seltzer mascot I don't. and they meet the owner of the farm Dr. Gribben who straight up looks like Colonel Sanders <laughs> I mean if it weren't for the name he'd be Colonel Sanders yep um, the crew makes nice with the colonel. That's what I'm calling him. As a dread follows the farmhand as they take the Alki kid, the Alki guy away. Like all these kids, they look like Speedy, the old Alka Seltzer model. They have uh, Alki written on their heads with numbers on them, I guess. Uh-huh. Which is weird. Yeah, they toss these out. Al- I'm calling them Alki kids. Um, <laughs> they toss the first Alki into a vat of water where he dissolves l- like an acid tablet. It's horrible. It's pretty terrible. It's basically just the exactly the same as when they put that shoe and the dip in, um, oh, yeah. in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Second Who Framed Roger Rabbit reference tonight, by the way. Um, yeah, really great. <laughs> but so there's a there's a really sweet moment where um, a farmhand see that Judge Dredd is watching them and they like attack him. And one guy throws a pitchfork at Judge Dredd's ha- uh, gun hand and like staples his hand against the wall so he, he can't uh, point his gun at them but then he drops the gun into his left hand and he shoots the guys with his left hand because the left hand's just as good as because so the left hand of the law is just as good as the right <laughs> so awesome but so his concern wins dread the respect of the other mascots that seem to inhabit the colonel's farm including like some more alky kids uh, a couple Mr. Peanuts and a, a bunch of other yeah, there's a bunch of other mascots that I assume are like British regional mascots, you know? Yeah, cube. Yeah, there's like some kind of cube with a sword and a shield that says T and L. Like I spent a good hour trying to figure out what some of these guys were, but I didn't really get a, have a lot of luck. You know what I mean? Jeez. Yeah. So anyhow, uh, the colonel is like, "Hey, everybody, let's cool out," and he invites every and he invites <laughs> all the guys in for drinks. Um, and in his parlor, and it turns out that, yep, the drinks are drugged. <laughs> and <laughs> as the judges and Spike's Harvey Rotten look on in horror, we learn that Colonel Sanders is going to remove some key glands from their brains to feed to his mascot people. Which, like, really? He's hungry for brains. <laughs> <laughs> um... Next up, as the mascots plot to help Dredd, the uh, judge and the rest of them manage to free themselves. They sort of, like, Dredd just kind of comes to, I guess, and is able to move despite the drugging. And, hey, man, the power of the law. Yeah. He kicks uh, Gribbon in the face, and then they're threatened by a, uh, a Michelin man. Yep. Who has two guns and a French accent, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> but Dredd manages to pop the Michelin man, and they escape. As they do, our guys get caught in one of those, like, you know, closing wall rooms where the walls smash <laughs> in on you. But they're freed uh, by Deu X Tweak for the second time this month, as <laughs> Tweak just kind of eats his way through the concrete to the walls and, like, has indigestion because like the concrete much, yeah. is. Yeah, it's not pure rock, you know? It's gross. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> 
Um, anyhow, the Jolly Greens try to stop them, but the smaller mascots swarm the Jolly Green Giants, and they fall into a solar power plant and catch fire. It's awesome. Gribbon goes mad and starts chasing down the Alki kids, like trying to kill them. He kills two, <laughs> and then the last one sacrifices itself to save Dread. Um, taking out the other guy in the process. Yeah. The farm is burning, and the team decides to let it burn because this place sucks. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Also, uh, man, you know, along with the Burger th- one. <laughs> 2000 yeah. AD got in a ton of trouble for this uh, storyline. Well, you know, I, I mean, not giving a fuck, I guess, just works out. No so. one likes seeing their mascot be some sort of murderous mutant without at least getting <laughs> some pri- a chance to, to look at the storyline prior, you know? You don't want to wake well, up and see that your mascot is suddenly a murderous mutant. I feel like the Michelin man generally is trying to like send a message of safety not i have two guns i'm going to shoot you zoo the lore i've come to kill you <laughs> also he's french yeah he's got a french accent i don't know um french name yeah uh we'll actually act we'll actually eventually i believe in the pages of the prog see a com- see an apology by Judge Dredd and Spike Sorry Rotten for imputing the good name of uh, of packaged vegetables from Jolly Green Giant, which is kind of funny. Oh, um, last one for the Prague. As the crew approaches uh, Las Vegas, they come under attack from a tank squad, and after fighting them off, it's revealed that this was an elaborate game for the citizens of Las Vegas to bet on, as even more so gambling is now 100% what you do in Las Vegas in the in, in the far future, even it's just though a nice thing to do, yeah, even the uh, the Hall of Justice is a casino ruled by the God Judge, a mafia guy who took over control of the Las Vegas judges during the war. Yeah, Judge Dredd is not happy about this situation. Yeah, he objects, and we end Judge Dredd for this month with him being about to be forced to walk the plank out of the top of the Hall of Justice slash casino. Just, uh, yeah, okay. And then Walter the Robot falls off of a skateboard. It's There's a little one-third page of Walter trying to give skate tips, but it's just, he falls over, and they say, watch out for woad wash, you know? Yeah. Hooray! <laughs> Man, Judge Jed rocks. Anytime that there's uh, anything flesh, it really does kind of. Yeah, man. Dinosaurs, Jolly Green Giants, Future Vegas. What's not to like? It's uh, it's definitely got a lot of flavor this month, and I'm really enjoying it. Unless you're the parent company of Jolly Green Giant, and then you have a lot of problems, honestly. Oh, well, you know. <laughs> I mean, look. Uh, when you make a mascot for a green bean company, I don't think uh, too many people are going to take it super seriously. That's false. They take it very seriously and go to court about <laughs> it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. So let's go to Non Thrills Nerve Center. <laughs> so just a couple quick stuff. Uh, Prog 76. Letters are mostly in favor of stories and Tharg himself. The one kid writes to Judge Dredd ratting out Tharg for having nice things to say about Star-Lord magazine. Um, uh, shout out to Raymond Lumsden for saying, where the fuck is more flesh? It's fair. Correct. Coming up, man, two months. Or two months of progs, I should say. Like four issue, four, four episodes for us. Oh, God. <laughs> um, 
In Proc 77, a toy contest starts, which is pretty nice. Um, there's a letter that says that by 2000, we'll have basically headband-based VR devices, if only. So the, uh, the, the toy contest is to identify three vehicles from different sci-fi TV shows. Uh, one is just the Enterprise from Star Trek. <laughs> then there's a ship from uh, puppet show Thunderbirds. And then what I'm going to say is Emma Peel's car from the show The Avengers, like the British version, with um, that was the movie with Uma Thurman and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I told Fox before the show that I, I tried to identify this car, and it was very difficult because I don't think it actually has a stylized P on the hood in real <laughs> life. None of the pictures I could find of it online had one, and so I don't know what's going on. Well, whatever. Yeah. Exactly. In Prog in 78, one kid requests 2080 models. Another makes Dandere's Star Fort out of Legos. Which is cool. It's a pretty cool mo- Lego model, for sure. Tharg calls out the Wonder Woman TV show for only flying in short leaps instead <laughs> of f- full-on go-anywhere flight the way Tharg himself does. It's like, come on. Us aliens can do it. Why not you uh, Grecian princess i don't know what the mythology for the wonder woman tv show is i gotta say uh, bdsm guy likes bdsm well that's original wonder woman but i don't know about the tv show uh, oh uh smart producers want a hot woman on television there Fair. we go <laughs> so there's, there's there's more there's more toy contest stuff uh there's a van slash tank from the show ufo a Klingon warbird, or whatever they call their ships, and uh, the uh, the ship that's got all the scaffolding stuff from Space 1999. This prog also has letters on the back page, which is basically a show of, of how it's going to be in 2000 AD, and like once it kind of finally gets started, there's going to be a nerve center with editorial and preview stuff in the front of the book, and then letters in, in on on the back page. Mm. In this case. There's responses to the letter about Dread and Dandere being too bloodthirsty, and guest appearances by Roja by Rojaws and Mechquake from the Robusters comic from the Star Lords from the Star Lord magazine. Cool. Yeah, these guys are a lot of fun, and we'll be seeing way more of them in the coming months when Star Lord folds and is then sort of smashed into 2000 AD. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, also, this is when they announced that Judge Dredd won the Eagle Award for Best Character for the first mm-hmm. time. This is awesome. Yeah, the Eagle Awards are sort of this, like, you know, they're a British comic book award thing. They're sort of semi-yearly, by which I mean there isn't really a set schedule for them. In some years, they don't hold them. Um, mm-hmm. Like, and they sort of, the categories in them vary a lot from year to year. Like, sometimes it's just overall, sometimes there's a... England and UK, or England and America in separate categories and stuff. Oh, cool. I'll note that a lot of the ones in the 70s, best continuing stories often goes to uh, Defenders comics that I've covered on Stranger by the Dozen, which, I'm, which oh, is very cool. Oh, snap. Crossover stuff. Um, Inter-podcast continuity. Yeah. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> But Judge Dredd often wins for um, best, like especially when they when they do like favorite UK character. Judge Dredd's always a shoe in. I think there's one year where Alan Moore wins every single possible um, category, which is kind of funny. That's nuts. <laughs> but you know, we'll just kind of keep an eye out for it, and 2000 AD will tell us when relevant stories win awards for sure. <laughs> 
Uh, finally, in Prague 79, there's letters about good art in the Prague's, and uh, there's things that are positive towards Tweak. I'm in favor of this, too. Uh, Tweak's pretty solid. And uh, then there's a letter from a fake alien trying to get galactic trivia from Tharg, and Tharg's like, no dice. And finally, Rojaws and Hammerstein, the two main guys from Robusters, do kind of an Abbott and Costello bit. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah, it's fine. I think it's interesting that they're sort of assuming that everybody's reading Star-Lord enough that they'll recognize these characters. Or maybe that Star-Lord isn't doing well enough that they feel the need to cross-promote it so heavily in Mm. 2000 AD. Then I wonder why those characters, maybe they just test well. I think they really like them. Like, we'll see once the Robusters come to 2000 AD, they basically take the role that um, Walter has previously had in the comic with Mm. these answering letter pages doing sort of outside doing non-thrill business within the comic book stuff like that i gotcha and i think they're way like rojas and hammerstein are way more charming than um than than walter is i mean that's not difficult but they also do a very good job (laughs) i'm glad then (laughs) at least it'll be a lot more enjoyable and a lot less i don't know stupid <laughs> Speaking of things that can be enjoyable or stupid, uh, <laughs> Thrill Four Future Shocks. Oh man! <laughs> Only uh, three Future Shocks this month. First up, there's the Illusion Man, uh, script robot Martin Locke, art robot Frisiano. Mm-hmm. So there's a space dude. He's all alone in his ship. The computer makes holograms to keep him busy and stuff. He gets an- the human gets annoyed by this and tells the computer to turn off all of the holograms on the ship completely. But it turns out he's a hologram too. Oh shit! Bam, bam, bam. So <clears throat> interesting stuff um, with Future Shock One is that it's kind of like uh, that episode in Star Trek: The Next Generation in season two where Jordy asks the computer to make a mystery difficult enough for Lieutenant Commander Data yeah. to um, kind of face off against. And a Sherlock creates. Holmes mystery, so it makes it super Moriarty. Exactly. So Moriarty ends up uh, kind of figuring out that he's on the ship, and they eventually like kind of let him out and um, you know check it no, out. They... He kind of gets phased in, and then they save him for later. They're like, we're yeah. going to save you. Um, for another time and and like figure out how to get you a body that's opposed to to a different tng episode where captain picard goes into like some noir world and you know they turn the uh all the safety settings get turned off because as usual and um a bunch of gangsters (laughs) try to uh like hold them hostage and stuff and then they ended up walking out of the uh walking out of the holodeck and then dissolving because they they don't realize that they're fake you know (laughs) yeah I'm Mickey. I'm Mickey Blue Eyes or whatever. Like no one can stop me. And then he walks out. And he's like, "Oh, I'm dissolving here." Oh no, <laughs> calzone pizza. Exactly. So the guy. And another fun fact is that a, the guy who played Moriarty mm-hmm. uh, also played Captain Charlie Davenport in The Hunt for Red October. Whoa! And he was the captain of the ship, uh, the USS Enterprise. <laughs> There you go. Some, there's only so many ship names, I suppose. <laughs> there's some there's some Star Wars fast facts. It's not a Star Wars fast facts, bro. 
It's a Star Trek fast fact. Oh, wait, Anyhow. God, Jesus. Anyhow, next story is uh, The Ultimate Warrior, script robot Chris Stevens, art robot Frisiano. A lot of Frisiano doing Future Shocks this month. Um, this dude wanders an alien landscape fighting robots. He comes to the final boss who's like a death, who death beats him and then reveals that death is an actual human and the guy who's been fighting is a robot himself. Oh, oh he was damn. a robot too. Bam, bam, bam. You know. <laughs> Future shocks are dumb. <laughs> then finally, uh, nothing on Earth. It's uh, the oh, year man. 1987. Long-range scanners pick up an alien craft. The general in charge of the whole thing prepares the army just in case a UFO is hostile. It lands, and oh, geez, it's full of gross squid guys. So the army kills them all. Soon after, another UFO lands. This one's full of like cute teddy bear guys, but... <laughs> They immediately say, hey, uh, we're hell evil, and those squid guys were super cool. You shouldn't have killed them. Now we're going to kill you, and they start killing everybody. Future Shock 3, nothing on Earth, or the Berenstein Bears steal Earth. Don't trust an alien by its cover. Bam, bam, bam. Anyhow. What a great showing of Future Shocks this week. They were so twist-heavy and interesting and so different, like bears. Just standard ultra-twist kind of stuff. Uh, Frisiano's art's pretty good, I think. Mm -hmm. That's sort of the big thing that recommends this month of Future Shocks. I definitely like his uh, the, the general... Look, he's got some really good faces, like, (laughs) screaming into things. Yeah. Hey, speaking of military guys screaming into things, uh, (laughs) Thrill 5, Ant Wars. We start off with hot ladies doing dances. Yeah. Script robot, Gary Finley Day. Art robot, Aspiri. I think he's the one for... Hold on a second. He's got a cool name. Right. Oh, Aspiri and uh, Ferrer this month. So, yeah. It's carnival, oh man. There's big uh big parades and stuff. Uh Anteater and Via, who is now a lieutenant instead of a captain, I guess, push through the crowds and head to the civic hall where the major who's in charge of everything is. They get his attention by blowing up his car with a grenade, and they warn the the major about the giant ants that are about to attack, and he actually believes them for once. Well, it was kind of refreshing. And he's yeah. also got really great mutton chops. Oh, yeah. But his belief is not enough to stop the ants from stealing a carnival billboard and having a plan. As the carnival float parade begins, Anteater senses ants in the city. <laughs> he's got ant powers. Yep. And it turns out that, yep, the ants have entered the city underneath a bunch of parade floats. Oh, they're eating everybody. I, like... No one noticed the giant fucking ant legs. There's clearly under all these... Like, they aren't like... they're. I guess they were supposed to be pushed by humans or something like that. But no one noticed that these floats um, have ant legs coming out of the bottom, like real clearly. And then none of the army saw them, and so they gotta go back into the city. Yeah, so the ants overrun everything. The city's overrun. They're turning skyscrapers into uh, ant mounds. The army is immediately defeated. It's real bad. Um, it's not looking great, but back into the sewers we go. Yeah, so Anteater, Via, and the Major escape in the sewer, but smaller worker ants are now coming out to get them. Death on six legs is coming for you, boy! 
That's oh, how. Snap. That's how Prague sixty-seven or or Prague uh, seventy-seven ends, which is very funny to me. <laughs> so uh, the the uh, the th- the trio make their way through the sewers just ahead of the ants. The city's overrun. They're turning skyscrapers into ant hills. Our guys make it to the airport, but it's also full of ants. <laughs> um, they think they see a small plane coming in for a landing, and the major betrays. Uh, Ant Eater and Via to try to catch it so he can try to get a ride in the plane to freedom. But it turns out that in fact it's a flying queen ant that lands <laughs> and eats him as it sort of comes in for a landing. And it shows it and it's awesome. It's pretty cool. Yeah, there's a, some Shaco level human eating in this mm-hmm. um, section of Ant Wars. But, <laughs> but uh, with the queen here, our guys see an opportunity. They can kill the queen and end the ant war in one fell swoop. So, and that's what they do. Uh, Ant and Via try to take out the queen with some poison blow darts, but it doesn't work. Um, Surprise. Yeah. All seems lost until the Brazilian Navy, the second largest navy in the Americas, thank you very much, uh, sh- <laughs> shows up and basically just shells all of the city of Rio de Janeiro completely to the ground. Oh, yeah. No, there's... I mean, would, would you not? I mean... No, I'm just, I'm just commending them. I'm just saying what happens. Um, I got you. I'm, I was like, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> Giant yeah, ants are like, don't fuck around with that. There's dump truck sized ants overrunning a city. Like, you gotta just cut your losses. Um, yep. So V and Ant get pulled out of the rubble and seem to be the only survivors of this whole situation. And for a minute, it seems like the ant menace has been defeated. Or has it? We cut to, deep in the jungle, a bunch of nurse ants that have hidden away a bunch of ant eggs. Soon, the eggs will ha- will hatch into a bunch of deadly killers. Begun, the ant wars have. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Man, ant wars is heating up. It's real good. I'm real excited for this next up. <laughs> um, it is still... Like, this man, Via, has learned nothing. Oh, yeah. No, he's still, like, yelling at Annie. You're like, why have you got to hide in the sewers, man? What's up? Like, you're, we're trying to survive, buddy. The city's overrun by giant ants. We got to go where giant taking, ants can't get in. <laughs> exactly. He's taking no accounting of what, like, has so far been successful against these things. And any time the native guy does anything... To just rescue them. He's like, ah, oh, fucking, don't let it go to your head, yeah. You or like, what are you doing? Stop doing that. You're stupid. Oh, that saved us. All right. Well, you're still dumb. That's <laughs> you know? pretty much it. It's like the, he's the worst guy in the world, and he keeps getting saved by the nicest native in the world. It's true. It's an interesting lesson, as we talked about last week. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Well. All right. So that's the thrills this month, Fox. What is your top thrill of the month? Uh, it's it, You know, it really is hard, because you're right. I'm starting to see that you're very right about Judge Dredd kind of carrying this stuff. But as I said, like, Dan Dare, man, there were so many explosions and so many, like, just massive amounts of problems and fighting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, so I got all of my fill of flesh in the last one. This was a carryover. We get a little bit more of them flagrantly plagiarizing things, which I felt like was done a little bit better in the Burger Wars. This one is super creepy. Um, fuck it. I'm going with Dan Dare. It's too good. All right. And what's your uh, bottom thrill this month, Fox? 
Oh, man. Well, none of them are particularly terrible. You know, um, God, this is rough. This is a lot harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll go, I'll go with Ant War. You know, mm-hmm. um, it, it hasn't done anything, like, too terribly new. I mean, they shelled the shit out of, like, a city, right? Yeah. Um, but nothing interesting happened with the queen other than her one kill. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just more of the same and uh, less of, like, the interesting, let's cut off some ant heads or, oh, look, they're floating down rivers now, you know? <laughs> Fair. Although the, the the parade eruption was great. Basically, this is this is the bottom of, of the best pile. So it's like, what can I say? Yeah, totally. Um, so how about you, man? My top thrill is still Judge Dredd. Uh, there was a crazy <laughs> dinosaur showdown. I really liked the... Um, I thought that the stuff with the mascots was so bizarre and weird that it was really, like... it's It was um, commendable, almost, just because, like, why... Like why are just why are they all these commercial guys? Why does this guy look like Colonel Sanders for no reason? Like they don't explain why he looks like Colonel Sanders at all. Um, the deaths are so intense, and that's yeah, and that's compelling for me. Yeah, and then like you know he guns down basically these children, which is super intense. Um, yeah, and all that stuff. It's super cool. And then there's freaking Satanus killing people and looking really awesome, and that's really good. And then. Um, all the like the 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 uh, city of, of 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 Vegas, like this, um, you know, corrupt like mm-hmm. town where everybody bets on everything completely and stuff is um, a neat dystopia kind of setup. So yeah, I agree. I'm all for it. Uh, What's your bottom then? Bottom thrill. Uh, it's tough for me too. Um, it's weird because there weren't a ton of like actual thrills this month there's only five and one of them is future shocks which i feel weird about giving a bottom to just because it's sort of just these jokes so it only you know it only aims so high so it's it's sort of hard to say that it doesn't succeed in what it's trying to do you know what i mean yeah exactly like future shocks are just trying to get to that air horn so and they get to it (laughs) so that's fine um i guess i'll say ant wars too um just because, yeah, it gets a little... It's getting a little samey after that first month, you know? <laughs> and, um... Like, I don't really like this midpoint of, like, all oh, the Ant Wars are over. Just because it's not like this is a hiatus and then Ant Wars will be back. Like, they've come to this stopping point and they're just going to continue it um, <laughs> next week, n- next month, you know? Um, yeah. And, like... Also having, like, oh, but suddenly the Navy shows up and now the military's able to fight off these ants when they haven't been able to before is kind of a lame way to end it, I think. Yeah, exactly. And also, like, their only scapegoat was we have to shell an entire city. Yeah, mostly I would have just liked them going to new and different examples of colonialism run mad, telling people that ants are about to attack, them not being believed, and then the ants attacking. Like, yeah. if it had stayed, if it had stayed that, I would have been super into it. As it well, is, I'm kind of meh. It would have been in like an invasion style tour of Brazil, maybe. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, nice. that, that's exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> yeah. But didn't get. So. <laughs> Well, it, I mean, still thrilling all around. Like, I think you're right. Like, I'd say the last few months, especially leading into 
um, you know, this time period has been really worth kind of reading the stories and amping up for it. Yeah, there's been a lot of fun stuff and sort of things really firing on all cylinders. I feel like we're really sort of at that point, like I sort of talked about where, you know, we're in like that, like start of the second half, the second season of The Simpsons, where they've really figured out what the show mm-hmm. is, and now things can, and now they can start putting out classics for the next like ten or twelve years, basically. Yeah, it definitely feels <laughs> like a confidence stride. I love it a lot. Yeah, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's very, very exciting, very hopeful. We're we're like two, we're two prog months away from the things getting super for this. For October 1978, which I've been really excited about, basically from the time we started this show. Um, <laughs> but until then, I hope you guys enjoy the show for this month. You can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or our podcast site at Cradaline.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're spacespinner2k. On everything else, look for spacespinner2000, and we should be there. Tune in next time as we take a, a break from Proxic Gander at the Dandere Annual 1979. It's the first of two annuals we'll read for 1978. They predate the years of annuals, so they're for the next year of the year they come out in. But... <laughs> The Dander Annual has everything you'd want. It's got stories for Invasion, Judge Dredd, and two for Dander, one bridging the gap between old school, like 50s Dander, and the modern 70s version. Plus, it's got another ultra dense Rick Random story, and all the text articles about the modern space program you could ever want. <laughs> Great. Which is actually zero, but ends up being like five. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendug Birthrig! Splendug Birthrig! Birth